in part 14 in our series through the book, The Song of Solomon. And you can see this morning, we are in the session, The Arts of Romance, and we're in part two of that theme. So I want to begin with a few more things that kids uh, have said about love and marriage and romance. So Carolyn, age eight, she was asked, what is the best time to get married? She said, 84. Because at that age, you don't have to work anymore, and you can spend all your time in your bedroom loving each other. <laughs> Lori, age eight, she was asked, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Both don't want no more kids. <laughs> Jeff was asked, what is love? Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. <laughs> Kim was asked, what is love? Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you want to be together and you talk. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. How many of you would agree with that? Your parents? Yeah. Okay, let's do a little review of what we talked about last session about romance, and then we're going to enter into the new stuff. We said God's plan for marriage is not the disintegration of romance, but the deepening of romance. God's plan is not that the longer you're married, the less romantic your marriage becomes. It's actually the opposite. The longer you're married, the deepening of romance is what you should be experiencing. So God's plan is not that your romance be flatlined. It's not that it be in decline, but it's that it continues to deepen. It continues to rise, actually, as time goes on. Romance doesn't end at the honeymoon. It, it actually, that's just the launching point for it, biblically. We said the number one toxin that sends romance into the decline is laziness. And we get that. I mean, if you get lazy about anything in life, you're, you know, that is going to suffer. You get lazy about your yard or your car or your finances or your physical body, it'll go into decline, and it's going to suffer in the, your spiritual life. There's a group of Christians that got so lazy with their relationship with Jesus Christ that Jesus said about them in Revelation 2.4, you have forsaken your first love. The Ephesian Christians got so busy with life, they actually got lazy with their relationship with Jesus, and you can get so busy with life, with you know, work with whatever, that you can actually forsake your first love, so to speak, with your spouse, and your romance can go into decline. And the answer to that is Revelation 2.5, where Jesus said, remember the height from which you have fallen, repent, that means do an about face, and do the things you did at first. Remember, you used to have a hot romance. Well, all you need to do is redo those things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That if you don't get on a new course, your romance, whoa, it's going to continue to decline. So regardless of how long or short you've been married, you know, God gives us some amazing principles on how to deepen romance in your marriage. And the Song of Solomon is about one couple, right? Solomon and the Shulamite. And, and Solomon is writing the book after he's married, and he's... he's if, as you look at the book, and if you've been with us this whole time, it's eight scenes. It's eight separate stages of romance. And couples who know how to navigate all these stages, they have great romantic lives. Couples that don't know how to ro 
navigate these stages, they, they struggle. And so we, we, we studied their attraction. That was scene one. And then their dating life and courtship and ceremony and intimacy and conflict resolution. And now we're in this session. As you study them, you see this deepening of romance that's emerging and all these amazing principles that come out of that. So God's plan for every marriage is a deepening of romance. And a key observation we stated last session, and we get this from Solomon and the Shulamite, is that we said this, the man is to be the initiator, the leader of romance in marriage, and the woman is to be the responder. Now, society doesn't teach that, but the Bible does. And if you're going to get your clues and cues for how you are going to try to find romance from society, you're going to be washed out. Romance is going to be short-lived. God has the answers, not the sitcoms, not what television portrays. It, It portrays the opposite of what God teaches. You as a man, you may not think you are Romeo, but you have married Juliet. And it's so important as a man to be the initiator to the person who realizes, I need to learn to lead my wife, my wife into romance. We said this, real men lead their wife in marriage into deeper romance. I mean, that's the principle we have in Scripture for men. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The number one command given to husbands is this, love, and that includes romantic love. The number one command given to wives is submit and respect. It's not love. It's not romance. She's to be the responder. You are to be the initiator, the leader in this area. So this is kind of something that society doesn't teach. It teaches the opposite. And and, and this is what society does. It attacks God's word. It attacks God's plan. That's why we have so much problem today in marriages. We're appropriating the world's philosophy, and it doesn't work. Your wives, your call is to respond, reciprocate, following your man's lead. Now, Solomon shows us, as we look here in this passage, 10 principles for deepening your your romance in marriage. And last session, we looked at the first five, and we're going to review those real quick. You remember the context in chapter 7, verse 1, is we are back in the bedroom, okay? This is where the whole thing takes place. On their honeymoon, Solomon commended her from top down. Now he's commending her from bottom up in this romantic uh, flurry of beautiful words that are so romantic. He's working up her body. Now, number one, we said romance her with greater understanding. He begins in chapter 7, verse 1, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. This is the first time he's commended her feet. Romance, we said, to a woman is in the details. When we as men notice something about our wives we've never pointed out before, like her feet or her shoes, that's romance. Uh, Romance is in the specifics of noticing things. Second, romance her with greater praise. Listen to what Solomon calls her, O prince's daughter. He calls her royalty. Romance is cultivated in praise. When you brag about your wife, that is romance. And when she hears you brag about her publicly, privately, that is romantic. Three, romance her with greater exaltation. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of craftsmen's hands. This is the first time he's pointed out her legs. Romance for a woman, again, is in the specifics. When we exalt, when we point out a physical feature of our wife, whether it be her hair, her eyes, her legs, 
That is romance. Four, romance her with greater appreciation. As your appreciation for her deepens, so will your romance. Now, these verses sound really strange to us, but remember, they're poetry. She got it, and, but it's weird when we do like, your navel is a rounded goblet <laughs> that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. That won't work for her if you just kind of give that to her in a card, you know, I don't think. But we pointed out this is Hebrew poetry, and when you begin to see behind that what it's all about, it's beautiful. Wine and wheat were both symbols of God's bountiful provision. Solomon was saying in that poetry, you, my darling, are God's blessing, 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 blessing all over my life. You're amazing. When you show appreciation to your wife, that is romance. Fifth way to deepen your romance. Romance her with greater, tender physical affection. If your romance is going to deepen, your, your tender, effect, tender affection for her must deepen. He says, your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. So, and we talked about men. You know, where do we get this idea that after, you know, we've, we're married, we, we begin to treat our wives roughly, like one of the guys. She doesn't want to be treated that way. Tender, non-sexual touching, holding her hand, putting your arm around her, hugging her, that's romance. Sixth principle. All right, let's go into the new stuff here for deepening romance in marriage. Romance her with greater respect. Respect and romance go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin called romance. And Solomon says in chapter 7, verse 4, your neck is like an ivory tower. Now, in the nation of Israel, kings would adorn their thrones and palaces with ivory all the time. You see this throughout the Old Testament. Look at 1 Kings 22:39, 2 Chronicles 9:17. Ivory uh, was rare and it was... It, it commanded respect when you saw it. And to say that your neck is like ivory is to say, I revere you. That's what he's saying. So my question for you is, does your wife know you respect her? Do you show her that respect in what you say and how you say it? Because that is romance to her. I mean, think about it. Do any of us, wanna ha do any of us have the desire to be romantic with someone who shows us little or no respect. That's just like turning off the hose, the spigot of romance when someone disrespects you by what they say or what they do. The greater the respect for your wife, the greater the romance. As time goes on, it should not be less respect for your wife. It should be more respect for her as time goes on. And that increases the romance. A husband found himself in big trouble. He forgot his wife's anniversary. He forgot their anniversary. And his wife angrily told him, tomorrow there better be something for me in the driveway that goes from zero to 160 in five seconds flat. <laughs> well, that next morning the wife found a small package in the driveway and she opened it and found a brand new bathroom scale. <laughs> Visiting hours for the husband at the hospital are limited due to the extent of the injuries. That is the opposite of respect. But some marriages, they literally are volleying back, and, and, and the media just makes fun of this. And they almost exalt it, but what it does is it tears away the romance. 
Now, many of us have learned as time goes on to respect one another more and more. And actually, we're seeing in our marriage a healthy, not perfect, because there's no perfect romance in marriages. There's no perfect marriages. But you're growing in this area, and I want you to talk about that a little bit. Uh, here's the discussion question. What does respect look like in a healthy romantic marriage? What are just some examples of what it does look like? Take a moment, talk about that a little bit at your tables. All right, we're learning 10 principles for deepening romance in marriage. Romance her with greater understanding, praise, exaltation, appreciation, tender physical affection, respect. Seventh way to romance her. Romance her with greater delights. So the question here is, does your wife know you delight in her? Does she know that it's a joy for you to be with her, to share life with her? That is romance, when a woman realizes you are her delight. And, you, and she, she finds delight in you and you in her. Uh, in, in chapter 7, verse 4, Solomon says, Your eyes, and he's looking into his wife's eyes, and he says, Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. The pools of Heshbon were two pools where you could go for coolness, for refreshment, like on a hot day. And Solomon, he's looking into her eyes, and he's saying, just to be with you is to experience refreshment. It's a joy. It's a delight. It's refreshing to be with you. And personally, I mean, I can't wait to be with my wife. And watch this. She knows it. There's a sign that I, I printed for Tracy in our garage where she comes in to park her car. I mean, both of us are hard workers, but we can't wait to get home and be with each other. And I, I printed this sign. I just put, posted it up there, and the sign says, It's about time you got home, exclamation point. <laughs> because I want to know I'm waiting for her. The greatest thing I have is when I come home at night, I hit that garage door, it comes up, and I go, Yes, her car is there. I can't wait to be with my wife. And she knows it. Her eyes are the pools of Heshbon. She's a pleasure to be around, a delight to be around. I'd rather be with Tracy than any other person in the entire world. Question, when's the last time you've told your wife that, or watch this, even better yet, that she knows that? You shouldn't have to tell her that. I mean, you have to use words, but does she know you can't wait to be around her? That is romance to a woman. That's big-time romance. Romance her with greater understanding, greater praise, greater exaltation, greater appreciation, greater tender physical affection, respect, delight, eighth way, romance her with greater trust. The greater your trust for your wife, the greater the romance. If she believes you trust her, that will translate into feelings of romantic love for you as a man. Notice how Solomon describes the Shulamite, chapter 7, verse 4. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, looking toward Damascus. And again, it's like, that doesn't make sense to us until you begin to take apart the poetry. The Tower of Lebanon faces the north where the Assyrians, Israel's long-enduring enemy, resided. The Tower of Lebanon was strategically placed in this location, watch this, to prevent an enemy army from attacking the city of Jerusalem. So this is the thing. When you are inside the city, and there's always walls in the cities back then, if you go with me to Jerusalem, you'll even see today there's a wall around Jerusalem. 
is for protection. As long as that tower was standing, you knew you were safe and sound while you were in Jerusalem. That tower conveyed trust, assurance, safety, security. And Solomon is saying, you, my darling, your countenance is trusting, assuring. Solomon is pointing out her trustworthiness. So I guess the question here is, does your wife know you trust her? And let me say a little point here to the ladies. Ladies, this is something that is earned. Trust is earned. Here's a little verse. You could take this to heart. Proverbs 31, 10 to 11. A wife of noble character who can find. Would you underline a wife of noble character? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her. Would you underline full confidence? Why does a husband have full confidence in a wife? Because she has noble character. She's earned it. Our trustworthiness is based upon our character as women in the relationship of a husband and a wife. If your character is noble, you'll be trusted and you will encourage your husband to be romantic. I'm so grateful for a wife that she doesn't gossip, she doesn't lie. If her character was full of gossip and lying, it would completely undermine my trustworthiness and our romance would suffer. Solomon was saying to his wife, you are like the Tower of Lebanon, you are a symbol of trustworthiness. Trust should not watch this decrease with time, but increase with time in your marriage. The greater the trust, the greater the romance. Romance are with greater understanding, praise, exaltation, appreciation, tender physical affection, respect, delight, trust. Nine, romance are with greater admiration. Romance deepens when admiration deepens. When a wife senses her husband admires her, literally admires her, I mean, puts her up on a pedestal, that is romance. And notice the admiration Solomon has for the Shulamite, chapter 7, verse 5. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. In Israel, the postcard place where you take pictures is Mount Carmel. I can't wait to, some of you will be with me here in a few months. We're going to show you Mount Carmel. It's beautiful. Rolling hills, beautiful mountains, picturesque. And Solomon is saying, you are the most lovely thing I know. You take my breath away, is what he's saying. He goes on to say in chapter 7, verse 5, your hair is like royal tapestry. The king, that's being he, is held captive by its tresses. Nothing could hold Solomon captive like the hair of his wife. He would run his hands, his fingers, through her hair in absolute admiration, and he would say to her, you own me. I am held captive in your spell. The Bible says that a man's wife is his crown. Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. In other words, the glory of a man, you know what the glory of a man is? His wife. That's the glory of a man. It's not how many fish I catch. It's not how awesome of a body I have. It's my wife. That's what the Bible says. Do you know how a guy experiences glory? Every time others point out the noble character of his wife, that's how a man experiences glory. He sits in the city gates, and he hears how the other men admire 
him because they admire her because of her character. You know how a guy compliments a guy? A guy will never say like, Wayne, you are like one good-looking dude. A guy will never say that. But I'll compliment Wayne by saying, Wayne, you are one crustacean of a dude. How did you ever marry someone as amazing as Delia? And Wayne will go, I'm the man. That's how you compliment a guy. You see, the crown of your life as a husband is your wife. And I, I thank the Lord often. I get people come out to me and go, Mark, how did you ever marry someone like Tracy? <laughs> and I go, yeah, got a crown, man. That's awesome, you know. That's how you compliment ladies. And the way that you grow in this whole area is men, you adore her. You admire her. And she grows in that character. Romance her with greater admiration. So we've looked at nine principles here right now. And if you're a guy right now, you're going, whoa, this is like a lot on me. And all you ladies are going, yeah, preach it, Mark, preach it. <laughs> but here's the question you're asking right now. What about the responsibility of my wife? And here is the biblical answer. She will follow your lead. That's it. God has set it up where you as the man are the leader of your home. Society doesn't teach that. Society is wrong. Society is messed up. This world is going down the tubes. The family is going down the tubes because we're getting all our cues for how we're supposed to work in the family from society. God says this, men, you're the leader of that family. You are the leader of your wife. You are to lead her into romantic love. What does 1 Corinthians 11.3 say? The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So you show me, you show her romance. The point is this. You show her romance, and she will show you romance. You respect her, she will respect you. Don't expect your wife to respect you if you don't respect her. You're called to be the leader. You love her, she will love you. You admire her, she will admire you. You revere, her, you revere her, she will revere you. But if you don't take the lead as a man, come on. This is what the Bible teaches. Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others, do to your wife what you would have them to do to you. You take the lead. You show me a romantic marriage, and I'll show you one thing a romantic husband. There's no such thing as, you show me a romantic marriage and I'll show you a romantic wife. No, no, no. The husband is the leader and the wife will follow. You will not have a romantic marriage when the wife is the leader. The husband's not designed to follow. He's designed to lead. That doesn't mean there isn't a following also with him, but he's called to be the primary leader of romance in the marriage. The degree of romance in marriage is always a reflection of the husband's leadership. Now, watch this because this is where it gets super exciting. You show her steps one through nine, and she will be ready for step ten. Steps one through nine is called this, romantic sexual foreplay. That's what it's called. That is the environment for great sex. Remember, men are microwaves. Women, they are crockpots. You are stalking the crock pot 
in steps one through nine, men. And the ladies are understanding. Right now, they're going, you're absolutely right. And then check out step 10 for deepening your romance. Romance her now. This comes at number 10 after one through nine. have already happened, guys. Romance her now with greater sexual passion. It doesn't start with this verse. It ends with this verse. Romance and sexual passion go hand in hand. The romance leads to great sex. So look what happens. Chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. How beautiful and how pleasing, O oh, love with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. This is Solomon speaking. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. So watch this. He started with her feet, and now he's made his way from the bottom all the way, you know, to her breasts. He's gone from the garden on their honeymoon. It was a garden on their honeymoon. Now it's an absolute oasis. Solomon is feasting. He's experiencing amazing sexual pleasure with his wife. That's what's going on right here. And there's nothing here about procreation. This is sex for pure enjoyment, pleasure, and bliss. He is saying, your body is like an oasis of ecstasy, is what he's saying in these verses. So here's the question. What's the biblical result of a romantic husband? The answer is this, a responsive wife. Listen to how Solomon or the Shulamite actually responds to Solomon sexually because Solomon has lavished upon her these nine acts of romantic love. She now speaks up. Chapter 7, verse 9. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. The picture here is that they have drunk deep, you know, uh, of the intoxicant of sexuality. This is great sex. And this sex is built on these nine romantic points of, of romance, of greater understanding, greater praise, greater exaltation, appreciation, tender affection, respect, delight, trust, admiration, all leading to this wonderful, glorious sexual expression of love. And listen to what she further says, chapter 7, verses 11 to 12. She says, come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. That look what she says. There I will give you my love. You see what's going on here? She's saying, Solly, now she's calling him Solly, okay? <laughs> Let's get away to that special place. I want to take you to a special place so I can give you more of my love. Let me ask you something. Ladies, a little question here. When's the last time you as a wife have initiated a steamy sexual encounter with your husband? Because that's what she's doing right here. Chapter 7, verse 13. She says, the mandrakes sent out their fragrance. And at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my lover, Solly. You know what mandrakes are? Mandrakes are a plant whose roots look like a man. And women would devour them for sexual excitement. They're aphrodisiac. She's saying, come away, Solly. Let's get behind closed doors 
behind that closed doors, she says, there is every delicacy, and she says, old and new. That means exactly what you think it means. There are old ways she wants to touch him, but there were also some new ways that she wanted to touch him. She has some new ideas stored up for how she can love her man. In other words, she wasn't stagnant. She was saying, I've got some new passion. I've got some new ideas for you, boy. <laughs> Ladies, I mean, this is a biblical wife. And this is what's so important. This is a biblical picture of a wife. Now, here's the question. Ladies, are you developing in your ability to be sexually creative, suggestive, and responsive? Guard against becoming an unbiblical Victorian prissy who is completely predictable and uncreative. I, I know, you know, a biblical wife is a responsive wife, unpredictable, sexual toward her husband. You see, here's the thing. Your husband would, will never say this but I will. <laughs> this is what your husband dreams about. He literally dreams about this, that you would be responsive, that you would be daring. You would do things that are just like, whoa. A wife who is like this is what a turn on to a guy. Notice how this biblical woman continues in her passion. And this, again, is God's description of a biblical wife. Chapter 8, verse 1. She says, If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you, and no one would despise me. I mean, what is she saying right here? In Israel, watch this, um, and even in Middle East culture today, uh, you would be despised. You'd look down upon if you showed open affection public affection, even if you're married. Many of you have been to these countries. And, and even now, if you're married and you show physical affection publicly, that's looked down upon, especially was this, this the case in biblical times. Unless, watch this, you were a brother and sister. Then you could touch. If you're a brother and sister, you could touch. She's saying, I wish you were my brother so I could kiss you publicly before all the world right now. This is what she's saying. But I can't. We have to wait till we get behind closed doors. Let me just ask you a question. When was the last time, wives, you've shown public physical affection toward your husband who is growing in his romantic advances towards you? He's trying, but are you reciprocating? I mean, why not go out to the church parking lot before you get in the car and just plant one on him? He might go, man, I need to go to church more often. <laughs> Look what she goes on to say in chapter 8, verses 2 to 3. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house. I mean, she's, she's just speaking about her imagination. She's, this is like putting words to a fantasy that she's portraying to Solomon because Solomon has so blown her away with romantic love. Those eight, nine things have just... She's just gone, and she is just reflecting to him her passion, and it's beautiful. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house 
she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. And then he goes, she goes, his left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. This is a woman of God. She's responsive. She's suggestive. She's passionate. She's daring. She's unpredictable. She's loving. She's tender. She is affirming. And she is a- arranging a special getaway. She is, watch this, guys, reciprocating in the way that speaks your love language because you spoke her it in nine different shades and now she is reciprocating then she says chapter 8 verse 2 daughters of Jerusalem I charge you do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires this time the restraint involves waiting for lovemaking with Solomon in a private setting rather than what would not be appropriate in a public setting back then. Now listen closely. I don't want to overstate this. She isn't like this all the time. But she is especially like this after her husband has poured out upon her Greater understanding, greater praise, greater exaltation, greater appreciation, greater tender tender physical affection, greater respect, greater delight, greater trust, greater admiration. She just can't help herself now. She's been swept off her feet with romance the way that God has called a husband to love a wife. And she's just blown away. And she does exactly what she's wired to do, reciprocate, love him back fully. And this is every husband's dream. But guys, you've got to become the husband that God calls you to if you want to experience that dream. She can't help herself. Solomon's romantic advances are such a turn on, and they're paying in, they're paying off in rich dividends, watch this, for both of them. Wow. He leads, and she can't help but follow. Wow. Wow. Let me wrap it up with a couple of points of application. These are very thoughtful and deep truths I want to share with you. And you need to think about these, and so do I, because I'm learning. We're all learning. Wives, the more responsive you are to him because of his romantic advances. You see, every guy here is going to be taking this message. You're watching on video or right now. You've got nine things to work on. And if you're a biblical husband, you're going to say, I want to master those nine things. I want to become that. So wives, the more responsive you are to him because of his romantic advances, the greater romance you can expect. This is what you want, wives. You've got to reinforce your husband when he makes the effort. He's learning. Be patient with him. So he gives you flowers. Don't tell him, well, thank you. Show him a thank you. Are you following me? Respond to him sexually. I guarantee there will be a dozen more roses the next day for you. The more sexually responsive you are, the more romantic he will be. So you want to reinforce. And then husbands, the more romantic you are to her because of her her responsiveness to you, the greater the the sexual responsiveness you can expect. And that just makes sense. She shows you something new in the bedroom, 
show her romance, boys. Say to her, honey, what do you want? You want a candlelit dinner tomorrow night? Back rub? Want me to take care of the kids this weekend? All next week? Whatever you want. You're reinforcing to her. The more romantic you are to her, the more responsive she will become toward you. This is not rocket science. This is understanding the way God has wired a man and the way God has wired a woman and are more selfless and become all about the other person with the man leading, the woman reciprocating, you got amazing romance in that marriage. Now, let me give you a project that will guarantee to improve your romance, okay? You need to talk about this as husbands and wives. Whether you've been married 60 years, 70 years, 20 years, 5 years, talk about this. Wives, list three ways your husband can improve his romance toward you. I mean, give him some thoughts on this. Give him a a to-do list. Help him. He'll appreciate this so much because he does want to grow in his romantic love. Often I'll ask Tracy, Trace, can you help me? Can you give me some pointers? I'm still growing in this. I want to be that husband that leads my wife and fulfills within her her need for romance. And then husbands, list three ways your wife can improve her responsiveness toward you. I mean, give her that list. What does that look like? Help her to understand that. Because she wants to be responsive. She does. And this will help her. And then be patient. And then what you want to do is share your answers and just watch what happens. Just getting things out there is fantastic. God's plan for marriage is, watch this, that romance would not decline. It would not be just flatlined, but it would continue to deepen. It would continue to actually grow as time goes on. Last Sunday, I mentioned to you that book, The Happy Couple. And I mentioned it was kind of a dorky book that I read, but it had a fantastic point. And then it studied all these couples, like 500 couples, and, the, and they studied couples that were happy. And the science showed that couples are happy because they use happy language. And my premise is couples that are romantic are so because they use romantic language. I've given you nine points of romance as men that we're called to lead. And as the environment in our homes become that, that is the environment where romance flourishes. And then a wife reciprocates and it just continues to grow. It doesn't decline, it grows. The number one toxin that puts romance into decline is laziness or indifference or ignorance or an unwillingness to actually change. Jesus said, repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'll remove that lampstand. One of the greatest things I believe our kids can see and your grandkids is you as a husband and wife in flat out in love with each other. There's nothing I love more than going home and seeing my dad, seeing my mom, just loving on each other. No one has a perfect marriage. But I'm so grateful for parents that didn't have a perfect marriage. They love on each other. And once in a while, it's kind of gross. They'll actually kiss in front of us. But all that 
It's a beautiful thing. That's God's plan. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you do have this plan for a deepening of romance as time goes on. And a deepening romantic life looks different than it did when we were in our 30s or 40s. God, we get that. But Lord, it's still to become deeper, not less. And Lord, we do admit that the number one toxin of romance declining is just kind of neglect. So help us as men especially, I pray, to be the initiators of romance in our marriages, for women to be those responders. Lord, remind us that there are no perfect marriages, but let that not be an excuse. Let us grow in this art of romance. And I pray that you use these 10 principles to help marriages not go into decline or even flatline, but grow deeper and, and higher as time goes on in this romantic love. And I pray, God, for those that may be watching or listening that are single and that you would give them this incredible, wonderful biblical vision for romantic love in their marriage one day should that be your will for their lives. Lord, thank you again for our time. And we just uh, commit this all into your hands now, praying you give us the, the grace to live it out step by step. And all God's people said...